that's not the full thing, but we're going to start talking about kingdom culture and how we can walk in it. Um, so uh, to begin with, and I've said this a few times, culture is the collective thinking. It's the collective thinking of a people, and it's evidenced in collective values and collective behavior. Culture is the collective thinking of a people, is the collective thinking of a people. And once a people begin to think and believe a certain way, collective thinking and belief of a people, once they begin to think and believe a certain way, you'll see it in their values and you'll see it in their behavior. It is made evident in their values and made evident in their behavior. And we don't realize it because much of it is invisible till it becomes visible. We don't realize how powerful a force it is. And it takes time for culture to develop. It takes time for culture to develop. That's why, and when it develops, it's almost like uh, the, it's almost like the yeast that you put in dough. It leavens the lump and you do not see it happening, but it, it's insidious and it keeps happening. And so we don't realize it till suddenly it emerges. And when it emerges, it really looks, it either looks ugly or it looks godly. And it applies to the world, it applies to churches, it applies to your families, it applies to our lives. And so it's a collective thinking. So we actually have a collective thinking that has been shaped over the last many years. And when we have a collective thinking, we have a collective way of believing. And when we have a collective way of believing, we have collective values, and then it shows in our behavior. And so one of the things we need to do as a church is continuously examine our culture. Because God's truth keeps unfolding, and as it unfolds, culture must change. So, and I know I've said this many times before, what we knew two years ago is incomplete. We keep moving towards completion. And so the truths we knew two years ago will be added on to by Jesus. And when he does, we need to examine our culture, improve on it, and preserve it. We, we fight for it. We, ex we fight, sorry, we examine it, we improve it, we fight for it, we preserve it. And when we don't fight for it, either it becomes crusty and institutionalized, or it becomes something that Noah did, or Moses did, but it isn't what God wants to do today. And as we get older, as you get older, you've got to be careful of this, eh? Because as we get older, we prefer the ways we know well. As we get older, we prefer the ways we know well. And we've got to, we've got to literally fight against this. Because every movement of God has been stopped because at some point, people stopped thinking that truth keeps unfolding and more will be added. Yeah. And that's how culture becomes a monster. We've got to guard against it. One of my cries as I get older is, Father, could you show where truth needs to now be reshaped or where, where, the truth, where my life needs to be reshaped by the new truths that God is showing us. Because he'll continuously show it. For those of you who are relatively new, one of the things that Eddie, uh, Paul's dad used to often say is the simple question. Um, if you went and asked 
Noah, what shall I do to be saved? What would he say? Get into the ark. If you went and asked Moses, what shall I do to be saved? He'd say, follow the Ten Commandments. If you went and asked David, what shall I do to be saved? David would probably say, worship before the Lord and the Ark of the Covenant. You get to John the Baptist, what shall I do to be saved? And the answer is, repent and be baptized. You get to Jesus and you would think that it should stop with Jesus. And you ask, what shall I do, be, do to be saved? And he says, unless you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You think it would stop there and then you go and meet a guy who's learned under Gamaliel and you ask him, what shall I do to be saved? And he says, not by works, but by faith. How can one truth keep unfolding? And what if we held on to what Noah said or Moses said? What if we held on to denominational, uh, denominational aspects of things? What if we held on to what Acts 29 has taught two years ago? This is how culture destroys us or stymies us or stops us. And then God looks looking... God goes looking for a remnant. That's how critical this is, guys. So, uh, wow, those kids are noisy. <laughs> so, it's a powerful force that, inf that invisibly influences, invisibly influences the way we think and live. It invisibly influences the way we think and live. And so what happens is, over a period of time, the very atmosphere in a place or the zeitgeist of a place begins to reflect the way culture is. So if you go to Vegas, there's a certain culture. If you go to Saudi Arabia, there's a certain culture. It's, it, and it's so different from each other, right? It's so different from each other. Vegas is so different from Saudi. It begins to affect your language, it begins to affect the way you dress, it begins to affect the way you think, it begins to affect the way you speak, it begins to affect what is possible, it begins to affect what is not possible, it affects everything. We are just not aware of it because it's all around us. And it takes time. And that's why you have to fight for it. You have to fight against that which tries to erode, and you have to fight for that which you need to preserve. And what is scary is we begin to fight for things that are old when God is bringing in the new. Any questions on that? Play, if you're getting older, play games with your mind. Keep your mind sharp. Do things that are out of the ordinary. You've gotten used to a pattern, change the pattern. Change the pattern. Unfamiliarity is what breaks us into new places, eh? Go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, rephrase that question. Well, how do we know that what, what we're thinking is new is actually what God is wanting as opposed to just what we're thinking or understanding? Yeah, I, I have a feeling whenever God wants to introduce something new, He begins the process over a period of time. He knows how change is not easy. And so he begins to drop these hints. Then there are breadcrumbs, and it's being said. Then you begin to notice it when you're reading scriptures. And he said this in the Old Testament, that before I want to do something, I begin to announce it. With a church like this, where things are, uh, where the prophetic is easy or flows easy, he'll begin to give us hints that he's up to something, and he begins to announce it so that we, he prepares us. That's a strange thing. Before Jesus had to come, there was preparation. And the preparation began somewhere in 
first Kings and then wove its way into Malachi. And then the last was a Malachi. And then you jump into the New Testament and there's Elijah, uh, John, who's a type of Elijah. And he begins to say the same thing. Israel was being prepared for the one who was to come. And their culture blinded them. Because what did their culture teach them? That a king cannot grow up in Nazareth. What good can come out of? And so hints will always be dropped, eh? It's just that, why change when we have a good thing going? That's the problem. Why change when we have a good thing going? Because a good thing ain't a God thing. We change because we want a God thing going, not a good thing going. Fire, yeah. Preferably use a sledgehammer, but if you're scared of a sledgehammer, just try using water or something. The other thing with regard to culture, it is, is that it is effortlessly, it is effortlessly, once it's established, it's effortlessly and unconsciously passed on from generation to generation. Effortlessly and unconsciously passed on from generation to generation. from generation to generation. It just becomes so normal for people to live in that. I, um, in Jeremiah 32 or 36, uh, to, sorry, in Jeremiah 35, you read about these guys called the Rechabites. And Jeremiah kind of springs a trap for them. He brings bowls full of wine and he places it before the Rechabites because it's, it's a parable that he wants Israel to notice. And he calls these Rechabites and he says to the Rechabites, listen, why don't you drink this wine? But the Rechabites come from this clan that was started by a guy called Jonadab. And Jonadab had given them this simple principle that was practiced over years, that you will not drink wine, you will not have houses, you will build tents, you will stay in tents. And these guys had continued that for years. And so even though Jeremiah, this great prophet, is offering them um, wine, and he was supposed to be the voice of God, these guys say no. Once culture is established, filters are built, man. One of the things Jesus wants to do amongst us is, hey, can I introduce this idea of kingdom culture? And I'll tell you how simple it is so that you can begin to operate in it. Your mind will think like it. And we'll just take a portion of it today. And then over the next many weeks, I don't know when we'll exhaust it, we'll just go from portion to portion to portion. Yeah. Yeah, he honored them. It was almost like a test. What I'm saying is these guys were so used to a certain way of functioning that instead of giving in to what Jeremiah was saying, it was like, nope, this is what our dads taught us. And then Jeremiah says, look, Israel, they listen to their father. How come you don't listen to the father? Yeah. Culture is changed through influencers. I love the, I mean, I've seen business cards with the title influencer now. I find that... Freaky, yeah. Who are you? I'm an influencer. <laughs> so culture is changed through influencers. And influencers use words. Culture is changed through influencers. And influencers use words. Words affect thinking. Thinking affects beliefs. Values are then created. Behavior is modified. And you have to pay a price for the words you use. 
What I'm finding difficult now is the world is willing to pay a price for the words they use. We are not. I keep referring to Harvey Milk, who used words to give life to LGBTQ being the norm. But he paid a price for the words he spoke, and he paid it. They beat him up. They did everything. But today, look at the effect of his words. And while he was using words, the church was not using words. Influencers use words. You must speak, guys. This kingdom must have a voice. And it's not God's voice. It's not lightning. It's not thunder. It's not a rainbow. It's you. You must use words. The world has always been framed for better or for worse by the spoken word or the written word. Someone writes a book, changes everything, man. Okay, so before we talk about kingdom culture, just I know we've been over this before, but just want to quickly say the church is not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. We've gone over this before, but the kingdom is the rule of God. The church, this is simplifying it, the church is the fellowship of men and women who have received the rule of God in their lives. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God, the reign of God, like the presidency of Obama or the presidency of Biden or the presidency of Trump. That's the rule of Jesus, the presidency of Jesus Christ. That, so that is what is afoot in the world, whether the world recognizes it, or recognizes it or not. The presidency of Jesus Christ is what prevails in the world right now. So the kingdom is the rule of God. It affects every area. There's nothing that's free of the rule or the reign of Christ. So that's the kingdom. The church is the men and women who have received this rule into their lives. And therefore, one of the things God does with the church is that he uses the church to be a witness, an instrument, and a custodian of his rule. That's one of his intents, eh? Okay, so you're my sons and daughters. I know you understand now what it is uh, to enter the kingdom of God because I said to you through my son that unless you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now that you're citizens of the kingdom, I want you to be a witness to what the kingdom looks like. We give people a taste of what it is, eh? So every time you pray and a prayer is answered, people see what a future kingdom looks like in the present. Every time someone is healed, People taste of something that awaits them in the future, but it is already present. Every time you take away someone's sorrow and bring them joy, bring them comfort, clothe someone, you are bringing something in the future into Middle Earth, and they get a taste of it. And for Jesus, this was super important. Yes, he came to preach the kingdom, but it was so necessary for him to make sure that his words were matched by works, eh? And so we are a witness to this, his rule. We are an instrument of his rule. Who does he use? 
He can do this through angels. He can do this without intervention. But my God, he uses people, man. So a lady who walks down the steps in a red jacket now gets affected by a bunch of guys who are instruments and a witness to the rule of God which wants to touch her life. And it is impossible for her to escape it. It begins like this. A little seed thrown in. How, how long did it take before you got saved? I had people following me around for years on end before one day things changed. Who was responsible for it? I don't know. I think all of them. We are custodians of his rule, as in, um, if, you go to, if you go to Mecca, um, the king of Saudi is called the custodian of the two mosques, as in he's supposed to look after, make sure it is intact, make sure it's presented properly. We are custodians of the kingdom. It should show in our lives, it should show in our marriages, in the way we conduct church, in the way we present Jesus. Jesus is not a high God. He's a really, he's a really, Nice God, friendly God, low God. I shudder when I think of God being a high God. Hey, he was a high God as long as we didn't know him as father. The moment he became father, things changed. Sometimes that's how you judge the timber of a church, T-I-M-B-R-E. Is he recognized as father? Because if he's not recognized as father, you do not have a Christian God. When someone walks into a place, if they don't see God as Father in that place, you do not have a Christian God. Because every God can be God, but only one God can be Father. And if I don't get that right, I don't get the Christian God right. Because Jesus came to show us the... Even the kingdom that Jesus has established is governed by culture. It's governed by a certain culture. In fact, I'd say that he gave the law so that he could um, create a culture. The law was given so that he could create a culture. Now, what is a culture? We hear about it in First Peter where it says, a peculiar nation, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. When Israel got the law, part of God's reason was, listen guys, I'm giving you a new way of living so that the nations around will know that you belong to a different king and you have a different culture. It's, it made them so distinct from the other nations around them. So the kingdom has culture and it is really important to God that we live that way. Paul's letters, after the first chapter of greeting and the last chapter where he um, tells you where he's going and says, say hello to this and that. Paul's letters, the middle is always about, this is how we live. It's behavior. This is who you are, therefore this is how you must live. I will pick on a few today. So here's a question I have for you. Um... If you could use three or four words to sum up what kingdom culture is, how would you phrase it? Guys on the sound booth cannot say anything because they know the answer. So what, how would you phrase kingdom culture? If, if you had three or four words to explain kingdom culture in words that are more understandable, how would you phrase it?
<laughs> Shall we just say hello to him anyways? Hey, Chad. I just want you to know that you're... Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of a service and you disturb me. Just so you know. Don't say... <laughs> nice salvage. I'll call you back then. <laughs> Bye. Don't be surprised if my mom calls me next. Okay, so how do you define kingdom culture? Some, some simple words for kingdom culture. Free. Love. Representing Christ on earth. You can't get this wrong, eh? God's heart. Self-sacrifice. Joy. I knew you would say that. Paul's uh, motto for life is, let's have fun. It's a good one, though. Yeah. Peace. Okay. You're all right, but I'm going to be a writer. So... So, what is kingdom culture? Uh, let's just go down the road of it is a good news culture. And so the question then is, what does good news look like? Everything about this culture, kingdom culture is a good news culture. It's a good news culture. In fact, uh, in the book of Luke, on many occasions, you would hear Luke writing about, and then Jesus went and preached the good news of the kingdom. Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 12, good news of the kingdom. And Acts chapter 8 again talks about, and so he went about preaching the good news of the kingdom. This culture or this way of thinking is always good news. We don't think so and nor does the world think that of us. And so everything you mentioned is part of this good news equation. So we'll take stories, we'll take teachings of Jesus over the next few weeks and look at the good news culture that Jesus wanted here on earth. So it's a good news culture. Luke 4, 43, Luke 8, 1, Luke 16, 16, Acts 8, 12. You'll, you'll see that. So we'll take the story today from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Luke 7, 36 to 50. We'll just pull out some principles from that and then... Try to practice it this week, eh? Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Okay, let me read from the NIV. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. 
Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he leaves Simon alone, eh? And he turns towards the woman and says to, and said to, then he turned towards this woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among them, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Guys, so here are the things we need to know about her. Uh, what's her job? She's a prostitute. Because when, sometimes when we read uh, scriptures, we just make everything so romantic and so nice. And there's this poor little woman sitting there. And, uh, we sanitize it, eh? And it's not true. It's not true. So what's her job? She's a prostitute. Um, social status. A word we don't use too often. A word that carries a lot of strength in it. She's a whore. What about her purity? She's absolutely impure, probably hangs around with Gentile clients too. And uh, that kind of impurity in those days was contagious. You couldn't have her come anywhere near you. Um, was she successful at her business? Yep, because she could afford an alabaster flask of perfume. So she probably was good at prostituting. Then she has the audacity to be an intruder in someone's house, uninvited. Suddenly it doesn't look all that romantic and poetic, right? There's a guy called Gary Smith, Smith who's a Jesuit priest who used to work the streets of Portland. And he said that if you want to know the indignity that humans can visit on another, Go speak to a woman of the streets. You've got to destroy this image of some beautiful, poor woman sitting at Jesus' feet. She must have been messed around so badly. But how come she has the audacity to intrude and come into a Pharisee's house? I'd suggest to you it is perhaps because she knew that Jesus was a friend of sinners. I don't know if someone can say that of me. I don't know if someone can say that of you. Sometimes when these stories happen, guys, we are so far from the one who we call Lord, it's scary. There's almost no semblance. And that bothers me, eh? They would not say of me. After, I've been a Christian for 32 years. They would not say of me that Jacob, ah, oh yeah, he's a friend of sinners. That gives her the audacity to walk into someone else's house. And what she's doing there is erotic. She goes there, and to begin with, untying her hair 
would be like a woman today wearing hardly anything. It was as, as, as unashamed as today a woman not wearing much. She unties her hair and then she goes, sits behind Jesus and then she starts wiping his feet with her hair. You have no idea what people around were thinking, eh? This was what a prostitute would do as a sexual favor for a client. And she's doing that. Only the intent is different. The story seems so not Christian. It doesn't fit in a church like this. And you and I thought that we were cool. This is the good news culture. We'll talk about it some. So her actions would have been erotic in the eyes of people. It was almost like it was a sexual favor being done to a client. And yet, Jesus allows this shameless act to continue. And he does not stop her. And he's losing his reputation in the bargain. Man, you and I are so careful about our reputation. The good news culture cannot go forward as long as I want to maintain my dignity. These are some non-negotiables that Jesus has put in place. There's nothing we can do about it. I cannot progress the good news culture till I allow my dignity and my reputation to regress. So he's in this man's house. There are and please don't think Pharisees were evil. You and I have bouts of Phariseeism every week. So they were not evil people, but you would be scandalized too, man. If this was happening to me and you caught me sitting like this and a woman doing this, you would say, you know, something's really wrong with Jacob. <laughs> if, it, if you were sitting there and I saw it, you'd be in probation the very next week. <laughs> so... Please be aware that we shouldn't, you know, whenever we read stories like this, we think, ah, I can think of that church, and if they went to that church, man, she'd be treated that way. No, you would treat them that way. We would treat them that way. Any questions before we go on? Any questions before we go on? He's, the guests are appalled huh, that he's not censoring wickedness because he's supposed to be someone who's... Uh, a rabbi, a prophet, and he's not... He, he, as a godly man, he shouldn't be allowing this. So how do we deal with it? We just go once a week now to Wally, or we go once a year, but this is not how we think. Culture is thinking. Culture is collective thinking. We do not think like this. I'm not saying that this means that everybody now must go and take care of the homeless, the drug addict, and the prostitute. I'm saying, uh, we'll come to what we, I'm saying, but the, uh, the thing is, this is not how I think. You are not known as a friend of sinners. What a cool title, eh? Jacob, friend of sinners. Any questions, guys? Okay. 
it's strange, but it, it is Jesus' acceptance. It is Jesus' acceptance. This is such a strange thing, man. I wish I'd learned it. It is Jesus' acceptance that begins the process of repentance. It is Jesus' acceptance that begins the process of repentance. Jesus' acceptance of what? Of a woman who... I don't know if the Holy Spirit told Jesus what she was up to. Must have freaked Jesus out a little when this woman came and he's eating a meal and she comes and starts washing his feet with her. Please understand, Jesus wasn't aware of everything. He was aware of things as the Holy Spirit showed him. What if the Spirit of God didn't show him what this woman was up to? And then he looks at her face and he begins to realize what's happening. But initially... But his acceptance of the person begins to lead to the process of repentance. We want to have them repent and then accept them. He accepts and then it leads to repentance. Very strange switch he makes here, man. This is the good news culture. It's very different from the culture that we are cultivating. We cultivate culture. He's trying to cultivate good news culture. And so in Jesus' acceptance, repentance begins. And then he waits for the repentance to be expressed in action. He waits for the repentance to be expressed in action. And suddenly, the erotic becomes extravagant. Suddenly, the erotic becomes extravagant. Don't remember the last time I used the word erotic in a teaching. Suddenly, the erotic becomes extravagant. Where normally you anoint someone's feet with oil. She doesn't use oil. She uses expensive perfume. Normally you take a towel to wipe someone's feet. She doesn't use a towel. She uses her hair. Normally you use water. She uses tears. It must have been such an odd scene, eh? I don't know, I was thinking about that. What was it, Jesus, that made you realize what was happening? Was it her tears? Where she starts crying and she's... I mean, she would come with an alabaster flask, right? yeah. Because she wanted to present it to Jesus. When she got there, she would have been overcome with how inadequate she was and how amazing he was. And that probably would have started her. Yeah, that... I don't think these actions were planned by her. I think one of the beautiful things about repentance is you can't script it. As it evolves, Jesus is seeing it happen. Yeah. His kindness and his acceptance of... This is something we need to give, guys. And then you don't need a prayer. You don't need, to, you don't need to hear a prayer to release forgiveness. One of the things Jesus says to his disciples is, if you retain it, it is retained. If you release it, it is released. We must be able to see repentance a mile away, just like Jesus sees my repentance a mile away. Before I can say words, his words are already... 
you had me at hello. He doesn't say that. That's Tom Cruise. <laughs> but, but, but the point is, my God. I was looking around and I thought someone thought that was scripture. No, it was, it, it was a line from Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the fullness of the story, eh? but there's something about it that we must learn. We don't pause on these stories. We don't pause on these stories. I want to pause on these stories over the next little while so that we understand what good news culture looks like. She does, and the other strange thing is she's not kissing his cheek, his hands. She's going for the most... The, the lowest unclean part of the body, because bond servants used to wash feet. She's kissing his feet. I wanted to do, the other thing I want to destroy from your minds is some beautiful looking woman. Eh? I've seen prostitutes who have been prostitutes on the streets here in Vancouver for about six years. Usually by the time they've got cuts on their mouth. They have become so grotesque because of what man has done to them. So we need to perish this biblical, poetic license we take with these stories. And into this cesspool comes the good news culture. And it does something to lives, man. And I know some of us are going to Wally, and, and, I, and I have a word for you who are going to Wally to do this. Do not think that going to Wally makes it good news culture. The good news culture has to be here. What you're doing is phenomenal. But I pray God that we will begin to think like this. Then we don't have to go to Wally. We can go anywhere. We will see. We will see. I want my mind not to be blinded anymore. Please don't think I'm diminishing the value of what you do in Wally. Thank God you're doing it and setting an example for us. But we're looking at more than an action. We are looking at a way of thinking. Okay. Jesus says publicly, and this is the last point before we touch on, so what's some of the things we can take away as good news culture? Jesus says publicly, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. He usually says that to people who are sick, man. If the woman with the issue of blood touched you, he says, your sins are forgiven, your faith has healed you, go in peace. To lepers, he'll say that, your faith has made you whole, go in peace. He says that to a woman who is doing this to him. And he turns to the rest of the crowd and says it. One of the things that we don't do, and I pray God that I change in this and you change in this. Guys, we are looking to give people uh, an understanding of the forgiveness of God. And we are looking to give people the divine assurance of um, heaven. Jesus does that, but something that's so important to Jesus is, can I now bring her back to be included in the community that she has been excluded from? And that is super difficult. The good news of the culture always brings people that are on the outside to the inside, and that is where it's costly. Leading a person in prayer is easy. So let's assume that 
I lead him in prayer and I give him the divine assurance of being born again and uh, his sins are forgiven. Great, I can walk away now. But there is nothing that I've done to bring Nick back into the community that he has been out of for years. That is something that Jesus is so insistent on. That is part of the reason he created the body. He puts a solitary in families. So, Jacob, how do we go about this? Let me begin by thinking like that so that I'll do something about it that will create safe spaces because we don't create safe spaces. We leave it to ministries. We leave it to ministries. This is not going to be a fun series. It's going to be difficult. Jesus' concern goes beyond forgiveness. It's his intent is, can I restore this woman to the community? Can I have her socially accepted? Are you able to do that? This is why I was fascinated when Prashant Pavan and Mohini found that lady in Wally and brought her home. Didn't even think about it. Just brought her home. Acceptance, inclusion. Any thoughts? Anything you want to say to, towards it? Do you realize how difficult it is? I'll have to visit your house next week. <laughs> All righty. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about, so how do we deal when we are exploited another time? Because there's good news culture with exploitation too. But before we get to being exploited, you can't get exploited if you don't allow someone to exploit you. And there are boundaries that need to be set. We're not, one sermon cannot, I can, but it'll take four hours. And you don't want four hours. So one sermon cannot cover everything. But one of the things we really need to realize is we are not as concerned about inclusive. I remember May babysat someone for a day and a half or hours. Just keep that in mind, eh? So here are the things that we can put down as good news culture. And may you practice at least one of this this week. Every week, can you pick up one of the things we talk about? So the good news culture, we'll call it GNC. I think that's some some vitamin, right? Yeah, I've seen GNC on bottles. Okay, that's what it is. Vitamins for life. So good news culture. Invite the uninvited. This is something. That's one. I'll, I'll give you a set of six or seven. You can pick one of them and practice it this week. And then we can talk about it next week. Invite the uninvited. Accept. And you'll have to define what accept looks like for you. 
accept the rejected. Touch the untouchable. I'm not talking about going all the way to India to, and I'm not talking about Dalits or untouchables, I'm talking about the untouchables here. I can't even believe that that's what they think of. Um, accept the rejected, touch the untouchable. Um, acceptance can happen without touching. I want to accept them in here and in here, and then I want to be able to do something for them physically. But they're very similar. But I can accept the rejected and not do anything that'll embrace them or make them feel physically any closer. I was sitting next to a guy in an uh, airplane and uh, he started coughing like crazy. And first I started praying, Father, keep me safe. <laughs> but he wouldn't quit coughing. He really started coughing. So now I'm not breathing. <laughs> I've inhaled, I'm not breathing, and I'm still saying, Father, keep me safe. And then at some point I realized, okay, pray for him. So start praying for him. So I accept that this guy is coughing. Pray for him. And God is saying, I'm glad you're praying, but do something a little more. So then I let go of my breath because now I'm breathing normal while he's coughing. <laughs> and then I picked out lozenges, gave it to him. I gave him a, a bag to uh, throw into. And then I started massaging his back because he was really coughing and nobody wanted to get near him. So there's an acceptance and then there is a uh, physical action. And one may lead to the other, but they are very similar. I was appalled at how I held my breath, man. It's just crazy what happens to you. You know, many times these things, we, we don't go down this road because of either fear or because of the inconvenience. See, the good news culture is highly inconvenient. That is why preaching the good news is so much easier. Just preach and leave. Pastors have become experts at that. And college professors. <laughs> I just thought I'll shoot one your way, Paul. They want to take all the blame on myself. Touch the untouchable. Defend the victim. Defend the victim. I love this next one. I pray God that I get to do this this week. Honor the ashamed. Here's another one that I want to see if it'll happen this week. Make the make first those who are last. Last. Give faith to the faithless. You can pick one of these or two of these. Ask God. When I was driving here, I was saying, Father, this is your desire. Make it give us an opportunity. Make whole what is broken. They're very similar. Some of these are overlaps. Make whole what is broken. And the last one is the toughest. Receive back into the community. Everyone. 
and you are community. You are the Samaritan. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Falls under this. In fact, there's a t- at some point we'll talk about how do we deal with the oppressor? The good news of the culture is also for the oppressor, for the ones in power, for the ones who are uh, who have victimized this woman. Surely the good news culture is for them too. As we go down this, we realize, oh shucks. Yes, we took a story that Jesus was sharing, and so we are highlighting this woman. But there are people that are wanting to sleep with her, wanting to stone her, wanting to pay her. What about the oppressor? He needs a good news culture too. So here are the... Uh, uh, thanks, Heidi, for bringing it up. Um, so here's the thing. This is not just for the ones who are being victimized. The, everyone needs this culture, man. And they don't see it. So... Uh, the ones that I'm picking uh, and I'm hoping will happen to me this week is five and six. I want to be able to somehow honor the ashamed and make first someone who has gotten accustomed to being last. Conferring worth is something Jesus delights in. The parable of the lost coin is basically that. Who would even look for a five-cent coin that goes under your sofa. And yet, there you go, looking for it. And then when you find it, you make such a noise about it. And the five-cent coin's thinking, oh my God, I didn't know I was so valuable. There is something called conferring worth. And this is the good news culture. Any questions? Yep. Number seven, give faith to the faithless. Um, Jesus turns to this woman and says, hey, um, your faith has made you whole. She had no idea. She didn't even know what she was doing. But there was something she recognized in Jesus. And he immediately realized that, okay, she's trusting him to bring her wholeness. She is trusting him to bring her wholeness. She does not know how. She doesn't do what she's doing. But there's something inside her that's beginning to click. Can I, in my interactions with a person, begin to have them have hope in someone who can put their lives back together. Give faith to the faithless. Give them a glimpse of this can happen. For the guy yesterday who was on the 17th floor wanting to jump, uh, you don't know how much faith and hope came into his life yesterday. He's sitting there weeping and he's saying, you have no idea. And he can see that it's come full circle. I was planning to jump off this, uh, this room And now I have come back to the same room. What are the odds? And you are saying to me that you will give me life and you will give life through me. Suddenly there was this small tunnel that opened up through his pain. And he's sobbing uncontrollably. Faith to the faithless. Just a little bit of hope, man. It is brilliant light, eh? A little bit of hope is brilliant light. It's piercing. Any other questions? Okay, let's quickly pray. Just, if you know how to pray for this, pray. And then I'll conclude. I'm off uh, to Bahrain and India on Tuesday, and I'll be back on the 26th. Uh, But let's just pray for this first.
And then if you need prayer, there'll be uh, four people out here who will pray for you. So if you have a need for prayer, feel free to come up. Um, are we meeting for prayer tomorrow evening? Don't know, but you'll get an email if we are. Likely Tuesday, and Derek will lead it, or one of the other guys will lead it. Sorry, uh, let's, let's pray. Holy Spirit, this can't be just a sermon. It has to be real. We have to learn this. It's our time to learn this. Please help us how to put it into words so that we can, we can pray your will for us and to you so that we can walk in it. Yeah? Yeah, man. So, Father, may we start shifting maybe 
Yeah. One. Yeah. 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 Jesus, I want to piggyback off what Prashant said. We lay our hands on our eyes right now. And we want our eyes opened to see how you see, to see what you see, to know what is immediately urgent, to notice what is unnoticed. doesn't matter whether it's a homeless person or a person with a mansion. I lay hands on my eyes right now. And I say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open my eyes, my physical eyes, my heart eyes, my spiritual eyes, my mind's eyes. Open my eyes so that I'm not blinded anymore. And then during the week, Help me to get one, two, three of these things that represent the good news culture. Let me be able to practice it. Open my eyes and I will see. When I see, I have the choice. But bring me to that place of choice. And please ask for all of us. Teach us Jesus. Teach us Spirit of God. You're the only one who can do this for us. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. So we thank you. Amen. Bless you guys.